All right, so we've been going through the series um, called All In. <clears throat> and I just want to um, continue to encourage you in that. Last week, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. What I want to encourage you, though, is next week is going to be um, go- going to be pretty cool and going to look um, a little bit different. That we're going we're gonna to actually move this party. We're going to be in here for, for part of the night, but then we're going to move this party to a different location um, for another part of the night. And you're also next week going to have the opportunity um, to be... Um, all in on all that the Lord is doing. Last couple weeks, I've been telling you that right now in this moment, and again, I'm going to tell you tonight that I am formally inviting you to be a part of something um, historic and to be a part of something that, that is much bigger than what you can do on your own. To be a part of, of what God is doing in River Oak Church, in your church family, in this house, in our home, and what God is doing in our city, that you get to be a part of that, that God is doing some big things. And so um, as, as I read scripture, now I'm going I'm to break in a little bit of scripture, but here's what I, I want you to know is to, to, to be all in is to see the example of Jesus and then to replicate that in your own life. To see the example of Jesus, his grace and his patience, his forgiveness, his endurance, the way he suffered for a cause greater than himself, to see that example, wrap that up in one person of Jesus, and then to strive to live in a way, to make an effort to live in a way that imitates Jesus. Where when other people see you, they don't see the characteristics of another sinful human, but instead they see the characteristics of God in you. That's Genesis 1, or Genesis 2, that God made us in his image. And so to be all in then is to emulate that and to imitate Jesus. And so as I read this scripture, I want you to to hear it with that lens, that to be all in is to see the example of Jesus and to say, I want to live that example out in my own life. Before I read, I'm going to pray for us, and, and what, I, what I'm going to do before I pray is I'm going to tell you, hey, this would be a great time to pull your phone out, put that bad boy on vibrate or on silent, and then even if you have the courage, some of you don't, you're like, no, like it has the little grippy thing in the back, so I never set it down. But to have the courage to release the grippy thing and to set it on the ground. And then to trust that anything that's going to happen on that phone, hey, God's actually sovereign in control of that, and you don't need it for just a few minutes. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these students. Lord, I I thank you for being able and being reminded, Lord, through song, through worship, that you are good, that you are not bad, that you are not the God of guilt. You are not the God of hate, or that you are the God of love, and the God of relationship, not religion. 
and the God of grace and forgiveness. Or you are the redeeming God who calls us your own, who adopts us as sons and as daughters, who no longer sees us as strangers, sees us as family and Lord. Thank you for allowing us to come in this place and call it our home. Worship in your house, in our house. Lord, I ask that you would give us focus. God, that you would give us an understanding of Scripture. That you would speak through me, Lord, spite me. That you would use me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to read in, in uh, Matthew 9. <clears throat> I just want to start us out this, mor- this morning. Dude, I want my hour back, okay? I'm going to start us out this evening in Matthew 9, verse 32. And in Matthew 9, Jesus has been going along and he's healed uh, four or five people before we get to this incident where there's a man who is possessed by a demon who is holding the man mute. He cannot speak. A pretty big difficulty. And Jesus, he comes in contact with Jesus and he says, as they were going, him and the disciples, and obviously a a large crowd, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, and so Jesus then seeing the man in need and being the God who loves people, cast the demon out. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowd marveled, saying, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. Never have we ever seen anything like this in Israel before. And so they see a miracle. But just because a miracle happens, I want you to hear this, just because a miracle happens doesn't mean everyone sees it. That if you've ever had a miracle happen to you, if you've ever had something where you're like, man, that can only be explained through the Lord's work, you've probably also had someone who tried to explain how it could happen without God. And this is what happens, right? So so God, Jesus, heals a man, and the crowd says, man, we have never seen anything like this. And Marvel's a positive word. It's like a worshipful word. Wow, there's something higher here, something bigger here. And then the other side of the crowd, the Pharisees, religious leaders who did not believe Jesus as Lord, did not believe him as God's son, did not believe him as the Savior, begin to say, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. So Jesus heals, people are like, man, this must be a man from God. And the other people said, no, no, this is a worker of Satan. This guy cast out demons by the power of the prince of demons. And if you read in Matthew, if you continue to read in Matthew 9, you would see that Jesus, we're going to go here in just a minute, but you would see that he just jumps to the next subject. Matthew doesn't record it. The gospel of Matthew, the perspective of Matthew watching Jesus, he didn't write it down. But Luke also records the story, and he records Jesus' response to the man in this incident, in this incident. And that's what he says. Jesus, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? So he said, 
Basically, in layman's terms, if your team is trying to score goals on two different ends of the field, you will not win. He says, if I am working for Satan, why would I cast demons out? That is going the opposite direction in what Satan is trying to accomplish in the life of man. He says, so, so there's two different things happening here. He says, I, a kingdom that's divided against itself will fall. A team that's trying to score two different goals will fall. He goes on though. He says, and if Satan also divided against himself, how will the kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Kind of a crazy word, but it just stands for Satan. And he says, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub or Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? He says, so you have people in your life that are exorcists, that are casting demons out. If I'm doing it by the power of Satan, then who are they doing it by? Must be the same power. And so it kind of allows them, or it kind of convicts them where they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, let me, let me think about what's going on here. And then he does kind of the first mic drop. If you ever say something big, you can't really drop this one. It's not as fun. But if you ever say something where you're like, man, nothing else needs to be said. If you ever saw 8 Mile, don't watch it. But if you did watch it, he like drops the mic at the end of his rap. And it's like amazing. So anyway, Jesus kind of drops the mic here. That's what he says. He says, but... But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. I love it. He says, okay, if it's not Satan that I'm working in the power of, because if I was, Satan's kingdom could never stand. And so obviously it's not Satan. He says, so there's only one other option. He says, if it is by the finger of God. I broke this finger right here. You're like, where, where are you going with this? I broke this finger three times. I don't know if you can see it. It's kind of like crooked, this index finger, and messed up. Like, I broke it three times. Why? Because it's not the strongest part of my body. It's not if I was really wanting to hurt someone, like, I'm not coming out at you, like, finger first. Right? Like, it's fist or foot or car first, right? Like, I, I, like, finger first isn't the way, but it says, yet, God in his mighty power comes at you finger first because that's all he needs. And then he says, man, if there is a strong man, a demon-possessed man, yeah, he's, he's possessed until something stronger comes upon him. He says, and then when something stronger comes upon him, the finger of God then that man is now weak. Then everything that he had that was holding him up, man, is now taken away because a stronger man has come. A stronger presence has come. For you who are believers in this room, eyes right here, if you place your trust in Jesus in this room, this is a point where you should celebrate. Where you should take confidence knowing that, man, I am standing in the power of Jesus. The same power that with a finger can cast out demons. 
The same power that brings healing and brings life. The same power that says, man, I am good. And I'm never letting you down. That doesn't mean that your life's going to look perfect. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go the way you think it should go. But it means that God is never surprised by the things that happen. That the things that are too big in your life for you are not too big for the God who says you are mine. That's amazing. Like, that's how I have hope. Because God says, man, it may be too big for you, and that's okay. That's why you're there here to trust me. Because it's not too big for me. And so he kind of drops that mic again. And he says, for whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. I had a really hard conversation yesterday with a friend as I was actually trying to prepare for this message. I started getting texts from a friend. He sent me some song that said, like, best worship song. And I look at it, and I was like, that's not a worship song. And then his next text to me. It's the kid I grew up with in church in my youth group. Not while I was a youth leader, like in high school, he was in high school, my buddy. He says, yeah, I definitely, I don't know why he said this, just next, next text. I definitely don't believe in God anymore. Like it's, it's 2018, let's just progress past God. That really, we're gonna believe a made up story. That this was a, this was a kid who believed with his head in the Bible, who believed and tried to make himself believe that everything he was experiencing with his head was all that God had to offer. And now that he's in his late 20s, he's come to a point where he says, wait a second, if this is all God has to offer, God is not real. This is a guy who was never fully devoted to the Lord, whose heart was never fully committed to God, who never said, God, no, I'm trusting you with my whole life. This was a guy who Satan has really attacked, that he had a, a, fa- a uncle that was a preacher who cheated on his aunt and then killed himself. This is a guy who had a dad who went to church with him, but was also addicted to painkillers his whole life, and then left his mother while they all went to a movie, and they came back and their dad was gone for another woman, and then came back and then left again, and then came back and then left again, and now it's separated. This was the same parents that went to church with him. And so, so Satan has attacked this guy a lot and brought a lot of things into his life where he's now looking, not having a heart knowledge and, and a, a new heart, but instead have been, having been mediocre his whole life, never being all in for Jesus, only allowing it to be a head knowledge and faking it till he made it has come to the realization that if this is all Jesus is, then there is no Jesus, and this must be fake. I believe the Revelations would describe him. It's Revelations 3, 15 through 16. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That whoever is not with me, as he said in Luke, is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. That this is a guy who was in the seats you were in or are in right now. 
who tried to fake it until he made it. And he's come to the realization that he never knew Jesus, but he thinks and believes that he always knew everything there was about God. And now he's convinced he knows the truth and that he's only been living a lie, but he's never known the real truth. That he believes that God is a God of guilt and of pain and not of love and of grace. The reason I bring that up because I never want to have a conversation like that with you in 10 years. Where you come to a place in your life where you have convinced yourself now without ever truly saying, God, no, I want to be all in on everything you have. God, I want to know you and I want to be changed by you. Jesus goes on in the story And it says that he went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He went through all the cities. There's 204 cities they're talking about. 204 cities with 15,000 people approximately per city. That's 1.3 million people. 1,300,000 people. Jesus, if he went to two cities every day, that's 30,000 people every day. It would take him three months. And it says, and he went through all the cities. Seeing them. He says, teaching and proclaiming the gospel and kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And then this is Jesus' response. I don't want you to be fooled about how God feels about you when he sees you in pain, when he sees you hurting, when he sees the big things going on in your life. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, those that were around him, so just a minute ago, I'm going to go on, just a minute ago, he heals a man with a demon possession. Half the crowd marveled and said, we've never seen anything like this. The other half of the crowd said, man, this guy's demon possessed. He isn't God. And Jesus' response was he saw them had compassion and then he looked at his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful. That there are people who desperately need to know the truth and the saving grace of Jesus. He says, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but those who will go out and reach the people who are lost is few. He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
He says, pray for people that they will be all in on what I'm doing and how I'm wanting to reach people and that they will then have a change of heart and see people the way I see people and they will be sent out to work the harvest. The thing about this is, and I don't want you to be fooled like my friend was so longly fooled. Wrongly, longly, for a long time he was fooled. That you cannot just go out and say, man, I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to be the example Jesus is calling me to do and expect for you to have success. That there's something that has to come beside you. My friend, in part of the text, he says, man, we don't need God. We just have each other. That's awesome. And then I text him back, and I said, have you met people? They're terrible. And if that's all we got, that's terrible. We are weak. And I love what Ezekiel says, though. In Ezekiel, Old Testament, 36, verse 26, he says, I will give you, and he's talking about the Lord prophesying to the people. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put, that I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He says, when you come to know me, that there should be a heart change. He says that there is something that happens when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. He says, man, I put a new spirit in you, the spirit of power. And I give you a new heart, a heart that is no longer self-centered, a heart that is not a heart of stone, that is all about your success and your winning and your needs, but a heart that says you will see people like Jesus sees people. And the way Jesus sees people is he sees them with compassion, that he sees people in need. He says, that's the heart of flesh that the Lord should be putting in each of us. That the Lord should be creating in each of us. He says, man, it is with that heart. He says, I can encourage you to pray. Eyes right here. Eyes right here. Eyes right here. He says, I encourage you to pray that the Lord would give you a new heart that the Lord would cultivate a heart of flesh within people, that they would go into the harvest, for the harvest is ready. You know, there's a statistic that 82% of people, if asked or invited to go to church, would say yes and go. 82%. That means if you ask 10 people, eight of them statistically would say, yeah, I'll go with you. The other statistic is that only 3% of Christians will ever ask someone to go to church. He says, I pray that the Lord would send people because the harvest is plentiful. The people that claim to love Jesus are plentiful, but those who will walk courageously with Jesus is few. 
He says, man, those that will have compassion and then act courageously are few. He says, but to be all in is to be someone who sees people like Jesus sees them, which is with compassion, and then acts courageously on that. What I need you to know is that's what it looks like for us as individuals to be all in, to say, God, give me that heart of flesh, and may the Holy Spirit be at work in me to give me the strength to be compassionate to people, to have the words to say to people when I don't have the training or the experience of what I need to say. And Lord, give me the, the, the will and the energy to do your work. Lord, give me the courage to invite someone to church. That's what it looks like to be all in. But truthfully, that's all that this building project is about. If you haven't been here, what you need to know is that in just a couple of weeks, we're going to know whether we have enough to build. And then in 120 days, which I believe we will, in 120 days from that point, all of the permits will be in, and we will begin to build a new worship center in that grassy field. What that opens up is a new uh, youth facility where we can bring people to and say, man, this is our home. Welcome to our home. Feel at home. Know you're loved and you're cared for. Find rest. Find a place of refocus. Find a place where you can go out and risk it for Jesus. And what it opens up is now a place for families years after you're gone to come and to worship and to be changed by Jesus. Where we as a church can have compassion on our community and then act courageously in reaching them for Jesus. That's what this is about. That that's what we're talking about as a church when we say, man, we want you to be all in. We need all people in here to be all in on what God is doing here. And when I say you have the formal invitation, I'm saying that you have the invitation to be a part of something historical, to be a part of something much bigger than you could be a part of on your own. To be a part of something huge. And as I close and the band's gonna come up, last week I gave you opportunity and some of you understood me and some of you made it very clear that I was very confusing. I gave you the opportunity to take one of these cards, and one of these cards is a commitment card, but it's basically your invitation where you're saying, man, I am accepting the invitation to be all in. I am accepting the invitation to be a part of something that is going to be great, to be a part of something that God is going to use for generations to come. That I see people with compassion and I want to act courageously on that. See, your first step, I would say, to look around your community, look around your schools, look around your friend groups and say, man, who needs to know about Jesus? Who needs community and family? I'm going to bring them on Sunday morning. I'm going to bring them on Sunday night. I'm going to bring them on Wednesday night. I'm going to help them find a place where they can find hope in Jesus. But your next step, the next thing I would encourage you to do is to be a part of this. 
to be a part of what God is going to do in this group, to be a part of what God is going to use this youth area for. And so on here, there's, the, there's three things you can commit to doing. One is to giving, one is to praying, one is to serving. See, there, there's a lot of things you could give your money to, but I promise you nothing is more valuable than the work of God, wherever that looks like. And here's an opportunity to begin to invest in what God is doing here.